0: Uh, just being in this space is, is I don't know, it's, it's great. It's good. I've worshiped with you guys before, but it reminded me that the first time that I was in this gym uh, was as a 10 year old playing for Minnehaha Falls Athletic Club on the basketball team. And I could have never imagined that I would stand in this place with you people and that this would be a place of worship. So thanks be to God um, that uh, going from that place of being really sweaty and probably not very uh, sanctified. Um, to be able to be in this space, so uh, just give thanks with you for this space of worship. And greetings uh, to you from Church of the Redeemer. We're an Anglican church in Arden Hills, um, and we'll be celebrating our 10-year anniversary uh, this January. Um, just God's been very faithful from when we first started as a second service of Church of the Cross to sort of launching on our own, and um, just we're, we're thankful for the fellowship we have with you and for that um, good unity that we have with you under our bishop. Um, would you please pray with me? Lord, by the clearness and the brightness of Your Holy Word, may all the world come within Your saving embrace. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as I looked at today's reading from Hebrews and the uh, metaphor of, of race of a race and uh, that contest, I thought, what church would understand the metaphor of a race better than restoration? As you have so many races going past you, um, as you park, you probably see people running or biking. And I know even this, just this last Sunday, a race um, uh, was sort of forced you in the discipline of flexibility. Um, I know that that can be painful and challenging, but I know God's doing good things um, through that. So receive, receive it um, as as a good thing. Um, You have familiarity with races because they're going by, but I'm sure that there are some of you um, here who are runners as well and know that metaphor of running and a race a little bit more intimately. Now, I think it's interesting. Running, it requires personal discipline. Uh, No one else can run for you. You have to move, you know, put your foot one foot in front of the other. and so it's a very personal discipline, but runners, in my experience, and endurance um, athletes or endurance sports, there's a great sense of camaraderie among those who run together. I think that camaraderie is built from the sense that it is, it's arduous, like you all know that it's challenging, and so there's, there's a competitive aspect of who wants to be faster than the other, but you want to support one another to finish the race and to endure. Um, uh, so in running clubs or track teams or cross-country teams, um, I tried to avoid running as much as I can, but I was a cross-country skier, so I know some of that, same endurance, the things that just keep pushing, keep pushing. Um, Hebrews 12, again, uses this race as a metaphor for the Christian life. There are many other runners. You're not the only one. Um, there's runners past um, as well as present who, who are with you and have followed in this path of following Jesus. And in this race, it's not a contest of who gets to finish first. Someone has already finished first. But its finishing is the basic aim for us, that Jesus is already the victor and we're following after him, the forerunner. So the race to, that is set before us is to follow in his way and to endure, to, to carry on. In fact, encouraging one another in that race and crossing the finish line is part of our task. So not just that we would finish, but that others would come to to see God face-to-face as we desire to as well. Now each of us in that race and that pursuit have different strengths and weaknesses. We have different advantages or disadvantages in that pursuit. But the church, again, is a community that is invested in seeing everyone endure to the end. Because we see it's a strenuous challenge. In fact, that word that's used uh, to describe a race in Hebrews is the word where we get the word agony. So it's, it's not a sprint, but it's a, 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 a race or contest that has great uh, um, endurance. It requires us to press on. It's a long and a costly contest contest. And so there are stories of those who endure. And so the preceding verses in Hebrews 11 speak of a cloud of witnesses who have endured to the end as people of God. Speaks of how by faith Abraham and Sarah trusted God, um, entrusted their perishable lives to him, uh, trusting that he would provide imperishable things and inheritance for them. Speaks of how by faith Rahab risked her life for the sake of Hebrew spies, um, and her life was preserved when her city was taken. How by faith um, Moses was preserved, that his parents um, preserved him in spite of the commands of Pharaoh, and then Moses himself suffered many things, but then also saw great deliverance uh, from the Lord in his life. And then Hebrews 11 speaks of countless others and of uh, of those who held lightly to the perishable things for the sake of seeing of, of 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 receiving God's promises trusting that God is faithful to his people and so then holding lightly to their to their lives trusting him in spite of circumstances often the writer of hebrews is concerned with uh, christians enduring in faith not to neglect their salvation by immorality or through false teaching nor to lose hope when faced with persecution but to endure in faith Faith is not merely an assent, an agreement to different words, as we will, uh, after the sermon, speak out and proclaim our faith through the words of the Nicene Creed. Faith isn't merely saying those words or agreeing to those words, but embodying them in trust. Faith, like the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11, who, again, embodied their trust in the Lord in great sacrifice. As the great cloud of witnesses model for us, The race set before us is not about a personal best or uh, beating others, but enduring and assisting others in their journey and seeing your heirs, in fact, uh, come to the end. Because faith is a matter of life and death, that Jesus is the way to God. There's no other way. He sets out the way before us that we might join him and see God face to face in his glory. Now, though the cloud of witnesses are examples of faith, again Jesus is the victor. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. He shows us the way to the Father. He also endured persecution. He also endured temptation. His way to the to God the Father brought him through many trials. He struggled against sin and struggled against death's shadow. There were things that he he was grieved in his spirit when he Experience the fullness of the same things that we ourselves experience, and yet he remained faithful and endured to the end, even unto the cross. And so the writer of Hebrews is indicating for us that our struggle is not primarily against opponents, but against those sins and those weights that threaten our endurance of faith. So we should cast them off. That Jesus endured the persecution of sinners. He also endured the temptations of sin, even unto the cross, so surely we can follow him in what is now as yet a bloodless struggle against sin. Our struggle is not against opponents, those that oppose us, but against primarily those things that weigh us down and that can cause injury to ourselves and others in sin. In the metaphor of a race, sin is a deviation from God, Jesus's path. It's a deviation either by what we've done or left undone, as we pray in the prayer of confession, it's something that causes injury to ourselves and others that hinders them or ourselves in following Jesus. I think, to my experience as a cross-country skier, um, I think why I like this endurance aspect is I was never a fast skier, so it's good to hear just say, just endure, press on, and finish. <laughs> um, in in my experience as a skier in training, there was a, a guy on our team. Who I skied with him one day, and he was like, oh, let's go off in the woods for a second. And so I followed him for a bit, and he took a smoke break <laughs> in the midst of, as a high school student, he took a smoke break. That is clearly a deviation from what he was intending to do to grow in endurance. And other times in our training circuit, as we were supposed to uh, ski a certain number of kilometers, he would take a shortcut so that he kind of came to the end early. Now, that may, maybe meant that he enjoyed practice more, but when it came to the actual contest, when it came to enduring to a longer race, he did not have the capability to it. His, his smoke breaks and his short workouts didn't help him in any way. The author is more specific about sins in other parts of Hebrews, but here the emphasis in our passage is about the effect of sin. It's not about specific sins, but sin's disabling and dislocating effect in our following in the path of Jesus. Sin of all kinds impacts our endurance and faith. And so whatever it might be, cast it off so that it doesn't burden you or injure you or injure others. Sin diverts our attention from God. Instead of seeking God's face in sin, we hide our face from God. We hide ourselves from him in shame. Sin causes us in that hiding to neglect in worship and prayer, not seeking God's face, but seeking our own pleasure or just seeking a place where we might um, hide again from our shame. It draws our attention away from the path of Jesus's uh, toward diverse paths, ones that maybe will lead we, we, we're not really sure where they'll go, but they seem enticing at the time. They seem like a shortcut that might make our, our pursuit a little bit easier that day. Now, God is merciful to us in our sin. Um, we are so blessed in our, our habit of confession to offer those sins to God and hear that pronunciation of absolution. But that doesn't mean that we can lightly regard Jesus' sacrifice, which guarantees that grace, that, that forgiveness that comes from him. If we do so, if we lightly regard sin, we trade that inheritance for perishable pleasures and desires, thinking that this momentary pleasure that we might have is for a time better than that imperishable and eternal inheritance. And so we scorn that precious sacrifice of Jesus. So sin of all kinds impacts our endurance and faith, so we must cast it off if we are to endure. Sin also causes spiritual injury to ourselves and others that can develop into a dislocation. Again, a dislocation from God, a dislocation from other people. So beware of those who who think of sin lightly. Be discerning of those who speak of hidden paths of morality or theology that seem to make the way smoother, that, that take us in a path of, oh, you don't have to go that full way. Those who speak of long, obscured paths that seem to be very clearly divergent from Jesus' path or the path of the uh, cloud of witnesses. Be, be wary of those who promote shortcuts that reject the discipline of our desires and our passions. Imitate the faith and the virtue of the saints. As we said, the obedience of faith is something that's active. It's not passive. It's not just assent to something, agreement with something, but it's an embodied trust in faith, then, we don't merely judge something by whether or not it's just sin, whether or not it's proclaimed specifically as sin in Scripture, but if there might be in any way something that hinders us in following Jesus. Sin clings to and impacts our pursuit, our endurance of faith, but other hindrances, under, other hindrances as well can threaten our spiritual endurance The weights, I think, that uh, the writer of Hebrews speaks to are things like unnecessary baggage that we might carry in the way, things that slow our our obedience or distract our attention. They're attentions that are hindrances to us, and they're things that for you might be okay and for another might be um, a weight or vice versa. There might be social media or energy and time spent looking at photos or reading or sharing opinions that to one person is, is not a hindrance and to another is. It may be desires that you have for perishable things, for food or drink or clothing or homes, things that just have an undue weight in your life in following Jesus. It may be, especially in this uh, season where it seems like it's politics all the time, it may be your political interests and the way that that takes an undue uh, significance in your life, how your your heart and your mind is churning about the temporal when we can be encouraged that we are coming to a kingdom that will have no end. In this analogy of what what is a difference between a weight and a sin, I think maybe the recent hands-free cell phone uh, law in Minnesota might be a good example for you. On July 31st, uh, holding your cell phone in your hand was no sin, right? But it was certainly a distraction. August 1st, it becomes a misdemeanor, and how much more then were we more attentive, like put it in your glove compartment. Maybe you were good from the very beginning, and you did that all the time. But I, for myself, I recognized that, like this has always been a distraction. How much better would it be to be set aside um, that I wasn't, shouldn't merely be motivated by those things that cause punishment, but those things that promote virtue, Now, some activities, again, might be good for you and harmful for others, but the important thing for us to discern is what is your posture towards them. And it's not merely a division between temporal and eternal things or perishable and imperishable things. Jesus himself, he enjoyed perishable things to the witness of the imperishable. And in fact, he was accused of being a drunkard and spending too much time eating and drinking. He ate and drank with thanksgiving, He turned water into wine. He multiplied bread and fish. He multiplied great catches of fish uh, for his disciples, which fish are very perishable things, as your nose will tell you. But there was goodness in taking those perishable things and showing them as testimony to a thing of of a kingdom where there would be no scarcity and a day that would have no end. He even defended his anointing, um, the anointing of his feet with costly oil, saying that this was a way, it was an indication, a great um, act of worship. So in discerning weights in your life and discerning those things that may not necessarily uh, be bad to one person but are a hindrance to you, consider whether or not those activities or those appetites pull you out of the race, so to speak. Are there perishable things that serve as kind of a heavy security for you that it's just hard to set them aside? Instead, how might you steward your time and your resources lightly in thanksgiving and in generosity, looking ahead and again using those perishable things that you have to point to the day that will have no end and a a kingdom where there will be no lack? Our thanksgiving for the present finds its fullest expression when we receive perishable life as a foretaste of the imperishable. When our desires and our appetites are ends in and of themselves, we neglect the joy that's set before us and pull pull ourselves out of the race before we have finished. And God, in his mercy, he knows our weakness. Jesus was tempted in all things. He feasted and he fasted. Yet to the very end, Jesus offered his perishable life in thanksgiving to God, and God raised him up in imperishable eternal glory. For that joy set before him, Jesus submitted himself to the discipline of God the Father. This exhortation to cast off sin and weights, this exhortation to receive those things as the discipline of God, doesn't contradict God's love for us, but in fact is evidence that God loves and is attentive for us. Instead, like the discipline of a parent parent towards the child, this call of of obedience is evidence of God's love. Because it's only children who are rejected by their fathers who are neglected, but instead we receive the care, the love, and the discipline of God's children and heirs for our good. Again, the absence of parental attention and discipline is a sign of neglect, not love. It's wrong to give responsibility to a child before they're ready for it. It's wrong to be indifferent to sin or to those things that cause injury to themselves or to others. Likewise, the obedience of faith God calls us to is a godly discipline. The discipline of biblical morality is a demonstration of God's fatherly love. It's not a demonstration of his judgment or his rejection of us, but in fact a much deeper embrace of us that we might be healed from those things, that we not that what becomes lame might not become a dislocation. As best as they know, as best as we know, as sometimes as parents we establish house rules for the good of our children. And if we respect, again, that discipline of our earthly parents, how much more, again, as the writer of Hebrews says, must we respect that godly and great wisdom of God? Now, it's not wrong for us to personalize this passage, to think about the race specifically set before us, thinking about the uniqueness of our race. But it's important to recognize that the, these verses, this whole book, was written to a church, to a congregation. It was written to women and men and sons and daughters, to unmarried people and married people. That an expression that you—it's assumed that you are all in this together to endure. It's an encouragement to and an exhortation to each other. That faith is uh, that the endurance of faith is what we are to uh, encourage with one another. Jesus is the victor and the forerunner for us all. The cloud of witnesses are examples for us all. And so therefore, it's not about our personal best, about reaching the finish line first or excelling in all things. It's not spiritual competition, but it's a long journey to see the Lord face-to-face, that we would all come into his presence. So in the race that's set before you, surround and support those for whom there's weights that they just could not cast off, weights of grief and suffering that test their endurance. Encourage those in suffering Um, By your presence and your service, intercede for them in their weakness, intercede for them in their times where they may just be threatened to be voiceless. Be one who prays and worships on their behalf. And especially turn towards those whose race is nearing the end, because there's much for us to learn in that endurance in the presence of those who are nearer to joining that great cloud of witnesses. And in that space where they are nearer, there can be great temptation and pressure as well. So be near to them in encouragement, be near to them also in seeing how God is, is near to those for whom bread alone does not sustain. No matter our preferred pace, the way that we might think, well, I'm a fast runner or a medium runner or a slow runner, the path of holiness is one that we journey together, and different circumstances will make us. One, at one point, we, we are strong, at another point, we are weak. So, encourage our fellow runners, and they, as they might encourage you. Lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Run that race that's set before you, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So as we come to our time of confession, ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of those sins that cling so closely. Confess them, uh, those things that cause injury to yourself or others. Confess them in the general confession and then confess them one to another. Uh, again, that what is lame in you may not become a dislocation or a break. And perhaps take a walk, um, or if you feel especially motivated, take a run even today or tomorrow and reflect on those weights those things, that, uh, pay it, that those things that are attent- attentive uh, attentions that are distracting for you. Pay attention to what you pay attention to, asking what are those things that are hindrances to my endurance. And both in sin and in weights, pray with the psalmist as he prays in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Uphold us with a willing spirit that we might run the race before us. So restoration, endure. Follow Jesus, looking to him, the founder and perfecter of our faith. May we all rejoice to see him face to face and may we welcome in others who do not yet know him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.